This is the Colonel Rad Alert. Civil defense information will be broadcast at 640. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Y2K. How can we prepare? Stop a few of their machines and radios. Throw them into darkness for a few hours. We are fighting for our lives. My family must survive. Over five years, thousand gallons of gas, air filtration, water filtration. Coming at you from the frozen tundra that is East Central Alberta, Canada, streaming live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, Rumble, and Odyssey. Welcome back to the workshop where we create community, find freedom, promote preparedness, and share success. I am Toolman Tim. Today is July the 23rd, 2023, and this is episode 342 of Workshop Radio. How the hell is everyone out there tonight? In just a minute, I've got someone who is not just a friend of the community, but a friend of mine as well. Brother Joel Riles will be on. We're going to talk about everything. We don't really have a script. We're just going to let it fly and see where we end up. But Joel is an incredible guy for getting you motivated. He'll tell you the truth whether you want to hear it or not. So in a minute, we'll get him on. But real quick, let's get the announcements out of the way for you guys. Sunday evening, our sponsor is Amy Dingman of A Farmer's Kind of Life. She just released a new book called Get Shit Done, which seems to be the theme around here lately, and I love. And she actually just put out an audiobook. Now, I'm going to speculate here, but I'm pretty sure it's in her voice because I heard her say a while back that she was recording an audiobook, so it must be that. But uh, link is in the description tonight. I haven't given it a shot yet, but I need to. I need something to put in the old ears, so that'll be the next one. Next, guys, I got to show you. Here it is. If you can see, we're going to bring it in. We're going to bring it in on an angle. Right, oh, almost there. The very last set of Workshop Silver Rounds are in the Shopify site right now. 100 bucks for the two of them. And it's the last set. When they're gone, they're gone. And that is it. So links in the description. And finally, guys, we got how many days? Seven days till the early bird deadline for Self-Reliance Festival tickets. They just announced Jack Spirico is going to be back, which is great. Uh, I didn't ask him a second ago, but I'm pretty sure that Joel's going to be there as well. I'm definitely going to be there. Nicole's going to be there. Um, John Pugliano is going to be there. There's going to be a ton of people. So grab your tickets. My affiliate link's in the description. And with that, let's move on and bring on Brother Joel. Hey, Joel, how are you? Good, good. How are you doing tonight? Not bad at all. Haven't seen you in... Actually, it hasn't been too long. I guess March, April, when we were at Nicole's. Yep, <clears throat> yep. We were all there together, having a good time. We probably drank a little too much a couple evenings, but it was uh, all in good fun, right? Yes, and you uh, you were nice enough to uh, introduce me to a couple of your cigars. That uh, ever since I left, I've been like every time we go out of town, I'm trying to find an excuse to go find a cigar bar or something like that. So <laughs> I know, I know. I, I it was funny because you know I'm smoking them the whole time we're there. Uh, for the whole event, and they're like, no smoking under the tent. So I just stand outside the tent while I'm listening <laughs> to the speakers and everything. And uh, and then that, was it the last night we were there? All of a sudden, like, I don't know, there were probably 20 or 30 guys that all pulled the cigars out of their pockets. And a couple guys were like, hey, I don't, I want a cigar. Like, I don't have one. And I'm like, hang on a minute. And I run down and bring like six or eight cigars back up. And uh, and I was saving those uh, Kentucky Fire Cured uh, ones and and that was one of the ones that I shared with you. I gotta show you how to put them out though. That was the only yeah. thing I was like, I didn't show Tim how to put this out, and so I had to like cut about a half inch off the end to, to get it uh, taken care of. But don't worry, next time we're together, I'm gonna show you how to. You just set them aside and they they go out. That's one thing I love about cigars is 
if you need to be done with them, you just set them somewhere safe. So they're not going to start a fire and, uh, and they'll just kind of go out on their own. You can flick them and knock the ash off and relight them when you're ready. I'm going to have to give you some money to get me some so I can take them back with me when I come down at self-reliance because the, the one, the first night was good, but that Kentucky, was it Kentucky fire roasted or fire? I think they call them fire cured. And yeah, um, yeah a guy, some of your listeners may know him. His name's Elliot Hulse. He does um, hmm. like bodybuilding and kind of motivational stuff. And uh, he has kind of these men's groups, things that he runs, but he, he had a, an event at his house that he invited us out to. And, uh, and he knew I smoked cigars and he's like, I got these new ones. I want you to try. I'm like, all right, I'll give them a try. And I was like, wow, these are really good. So whenever I come across them, I try and grab a couple of them. Good. Well, I've got some bourbon to bring to, you're going to be at prepper camp, right? I am. I will be at both prepper camp and self-reliance festival. Uh, so that's September and October. They're just far enough apart. I'm going to have to come back home in between, but, uh, that's okay. We'll make the trip up twice and, uh, get to go by the, uh, smoke, great smoky mountain, uh, knife works. If you haven't been by there, that's Ooh. it's like a four-story knife shop. I drove and, by uh, it and seen it, but didn't stop. Yeah, to. it's definitely worth stopping by. And uh, right up in the uh, adjacent to the um, what is the Bass Pro Shops? That's right there. Yeah, uh, off the exit, there's a, a Tennessee distillery company, and they have some nice whiskeys there. I try and swing by because they only sell their whiskeys at that shop, and they they don't sell any other whiskeys but what they make. Ooh. And uh, so I'll bring, I'll, I'll grab one on the way up to um, Self-Reliance Festival and let you give it a try. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I've still got your seeds. We don't have our beds ready for them yet and I don't want to waste them. So I'm making Did sure. That, that came about from the last time you were on the episode, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. I love shit like that. That's awesome. Know, so right? there yeah, might have been a little seed exchange, some, right? Yeah. He gave me some tobacco seeds and I'm uh, like hanging on to them for dear life. I'm like, can't wait to put these things in the ground. Grow some. I got to learn to roll cigars at that point. And well, uh, I'll learn with you if you want. So, <laughs> yeah, it'd be a lot of fun. I, I can't wait. So, why don't you give us the the five cent tour of who Joel Riles is? We last time you're on, you give the story, but there's a ton of new listeners since, and I I awesome. just love hearing your story, man. So the abbreviated version is I was in the army, active duty for 12 years, deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, was in Bogota, Colombia, for about seven months. And um, so did some kind of fun deployment stuff and things like that. Uh, got back. I'd started training dogs in 2003 uh, when I got back from a deployment and my ex-wife was like, hey, uh, I got, you know, you're going to be gone. You're going to be doing deployments and all this stuff, but I want a protection dog while you're gone. So we knew nothing about dogs at the time. Uh, found a company up in Canada over in the Niagara Falls, Ontario area and uh, started training up there uh, and just absolutely fell in love with it every four day weekend in the army which we get about 10 of those a year uh, so almost every month i was there for about a decade uh, if i wasn't deployed i would fly up i you know flew from tampa i flew from uh um st louis i flew from colorado i was wherever i lived i i figured out how to get over there and train with those guys just every chance i had and um and eventually started training dogs on my own and I was trying to figure it out today. I think it was about 10 years ago. We went full time and um, kind of never looked back um, <laughs> in, in that whole situation. My ex-wife decided that she uh, was going to take my dog explosive scent, uh, which I had a block of C4. That was it. Nothing else, you know, that would make it do anything. And C4, if anybody is familiar with it, it's like the most stable explosive uh, anywhere in the world and uh, called the cops and they came and. I was training a law enforcement agency to integrate a canine into their SWAT team at the time in Mississippi. 
and uh, got a call from the sheriff and he said, um, yeah, I don't think things are going so well with you and your wife, are they? Uh, because she uh, said you were going to blow somebody up with this thing. And so got arrested, spent three months in jail, uh, got out on bail. The state dropped all the charges. The only thing that the federal government decided to follow up on was uh, I had an MP5 that had been given to me, fully automatic MP5, uh, by one of the tier one operators we trained dogs with. And uh, they were like, you don't have this registered. And the judge was like, well, is it illegal to have it? They're like, well, no, he just didn't register it. And he's like, well, is there any evidence he was going to hurt anybody with it? They were like, no. Is there any evidence that he stole it? No, no evidence of any of that stuff. Uh, okay, probation. And uh, But in that three months that I was in jail, obviously all of the contracts we had with the business disintegrated. Hmm. Um, I lost everything. So in family court, which you know I had to go from jail over to family court. And uh, the judge is like, well, since you can't take care of your family, I'm like, because my ex-wife put me in jail, you mean? Uh, of course, <laughs> I could say that when I was there. Sure. But, uh, He's like, so she gets everything, all of, everything that was on ground. I, other than the stuff that I had literally on my person, which a buddy of mine was holding on to for me, um, I lost it. So totally wiped out. The only thing in the marriage settlement agreement that I got was the name of the business and like social media accounts. So the website, the Facebook accounts, all that kind of stuff. I was able to keep that, but that was it. So I had to buy all my dogs back from the ex-wife. I uh, had to like work out deals with her to get some of the dogs back and rebuild the breeding program and all that stuff. But we rebuilt the business back from scratch. Uh, it took us about two and a half years to get it like back to where we were before. And um, I was just telling my kids today, we picked up my kids. So this is uh, some of my time to spend with my kids. And um, I said, you know, it's funny as I've sold more protection dogs this year than puppies, which is very unusual. And um, I'm like, our, our panic, our anxiety right now is we don't have any dogs for sale. Like the only to, to sell, like the only sure. dogs we have that we can sell for protection dogs are nine weeks old in a kennel in there. And so I'm like, keep all the puppies, like don't sell them because we have to replace all these dogs that are going out uh, at a like rapid pace that is much faster than normal. So it's a good problem to have uh, to balance everything out, but you know, it would have been easy to just give up and, and say, screw it. You know, this isn't going to work, but if you're going to make something happen and you take that approach, you're never going to make anything happen. So we, uh, we buckled down. I had some good friends come along and uh, met some great people during that time frame, And they said, Hey, we want to help you out. And, uh, so brought me over to this training facility. I was like, this is pretty cool. How much do I need to pay you guys to use this? They're like, nothing. Like, we just want you to train here. And it just kind of snowballed from there and, uh, everything's been rebuilt and we're, we're fully operational again and everything's, moving along better than it ever has before. So I love that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't begrudge. What, what do they say? Hard times breed hard men, you know? And, yeah. but here's the thing, you know, when we were at um, Nicole's, we talked about a bunch of different things and my thing was on poverty mindset. And when you said that you rebuilt things from the ground up, I can picture some people saying, Oh, that's rather lucky that they gave you a building, you know, how would you right. respond to that? <laughs> well, I often tell people, you know, I say you could be doing, I could have been doing exactly what I was doing. Right. right. And nobody came along and, and built anything. So when they offered, so, so one of the ladies that trained with me, she wanted me to come and, and see her facility, which is where we are now. And it was basically right. just a field with some wood obstacles on it. But I was like, Hey, this is pretty cool. Like you guys built some nice obstacles here. We can train on this. And I trained here 
just doing that. Uh, we were living, uh, I was living with my wife now and, um, and we, um, I would take like eight dogs home in my truck every night and they'd, you know, they'd be all over the house and in crates at night when we were sleeping. And in the morning I'd load them all up in my truck and I'd come over here and I'd spend all day over here. And about one or two days a week, I'd stay at the house and just do admin work, you know, and take the dogs out to use the bathroom and all that kind of stuff. And she goes, you need a kennel. And I was like, well, a kennel would be nice, but I'm doing fine. Like things are working. Like we're, we're making all this work. Right. And uh, she's like, no, 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 you need a kennel. And ultimately they built the kennel and then we're where we are now. And I tell people, I can't promise you that somebody like that's going to come along. Right. But what I can tell you is the only reason that came along was because I was working my ass off to put everything back together. And they saw that I was working my ass off to put it back together. And they said, we want to help this guy because he's, he's doing everything he can to get it going. He just needs this one little thing to get over that hump to, to get 10 X everything. Right. And, um, and if you're just sitting around waiting for somebody to show up, that's never going to happen. And if they had never shown up, I would have made it work. Fuck like yeah. I had, a, I had a spot out in Ocala that a Navy SEAL buddy of mine, I was leasing a you know a space out there to train. And, uh, and I would go out there numerous days a week and use his facility. Um, I could have made that work. That would have worked too. My, uh, my mom was like, you know, I stayed with her for about a month and a half and she's like, you can stay here. And I'm like, I love you, mom. But you know, 40 year old men don't live with their parents. Like that's not how that works. And, um, but you know, she's trying to sell her house. Now we, we had talked a couple of times about, Hey, I'll buy the house from you. I'll, right. It's an acre piece of property. It's in a un, unincorporated area, no restrictions for what I can do. I could have built my facility there. So it's like, I had numerous options available. This just happened to be the one that was the most attractive and uh, that we decided to go with, but all of those things were options but they were only options because I wasn't sitting around waiting for something to happen. I was figuring it out and making something happen. And, you know, it's like, you know, John and Jack, uh, you know, so John Willis at SOE tactical gear and, uh, and Jack at the survival podcast, you know, they'll, they'll say things like, especially when they're together, right. They're like, <laughs> if somebody wants help and they ask for advice, I'll give them a little bit of advice to start with, but if they don't take that advice and go and start doing something with it, I'm done. Like, don't come ask me again. And it's like, you have to get up and do something. You have to start moving in the direction you want to go, sitting around and hoping that something will happen. Nothing will ever happen. Right. I don't know if you've ever listened to, uh, you know, Jack recommends listening to the richest man in Babylon. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I got the audio book on that. And there's a, a chapter in there that they talk about luck. And they're like, what is luck? Right. And so, you know, one guy talked about, you know, oh, I, I found this you know, purse of coins and yay, wasn't I lucky? And uh, and and so it was kind of the Socratic method. So if you're not familiar with that, it's like, you know, the teacher like asks questions and like probes for you know different things. And and so it, the way it's written, it's like there's this big conversation that happens right among this kind of group of people. And so they were asking for people's opinions on what is luck and things like that. And ultimately, the, the point of the story came around to. Luck is having the ability to take advantage of an opportunity when it presents itself. And if you're doing nothing, an opportunity can present itself, but you're unable to take advantage of it because you haven't been doing the work to set yourself up in that position where when the opportunity arises, you can jump on it. And and then people go, oh, well, you were lucky, right? Well, yeah, okay, maybe a little bit. Like, I'm not going to say, like, I'm more ahead than I would have been had nobody come along and, and said, we're going to give you this extra gift. 
but the business would have been here regardless of whether that had happened or not, because I was making the business happen. And, you know, and I'd, I'd learned a lot of things along the way. When I was in the army, I was, I would start running the business and then I would, we call it a PCS as <laughs> a permanent change of station. They move you to another location. Right. And then, so all my clients would go away and I'd have to start building clients again, or I would deploy and then I'd come back and those people have moved or they found another trainer or whatever. And I have to start rebuilding clients again. So I, I'd kind of gotten used to rebuilding things over and over again. That was always at a smaller scale. And then when I decided to go full time and just commit 100% of my energy to it, it like three X probably within like four to six months of, of doing that, just because I had a lot more time and energy to pour into it. Right. I, I didn't have all the other job that I was doing. And then when we moved down here, um, I was already in the process of doing that. I think the the last year that we were in business before the, the jail and the divorce and all that kind of stuff happened, uh, we grossed. I don't even keep track of net. I'm not a very good businessman that way. Nah, like a lot of people are like, you got to track all the stuff. I'm like, yeah, I don't have time for that crap. I'm training dogs all day long. But we grossed that year about $250,000. Okay. We're on track this year to gross over half a million. And I yeah. told my wife, I'm like, we might, depending on if it keeps at the pace it's going, we'll probably gross in the $750,000 range, which I'm like, it kind of sucks because I can keep my, my income on paper yeah. that when I file taxes about 70, $75,000, which means I, I pay about 1500, $2,000 to the government. That's easy. Uh, at $750,000 gross, <laughs> I better start spending money in savings. Like I have a feeling I'm going to pay some taxes this year for real for the first time. So uh, yeah, it's a good problem to have though. It is. It yeah. I, you know, they always joke. They they always said more money, more problems. I always said more employees, more problems. I, yeah. but, but that's a whole nother story. So what do you do? Okay, let's go back to the luck and the whole um, Socratic math method and that. You said you know because yeah, it's easy to be unlucky because you haven't put yourself in a position. A good a good thing came along and somebody says something like, "Well, it would have been nice if I'd have had the money. I could have done this or." Everybody you ever talked to is like, you know, I had this great idea back when I was 17 years old. And if I just ran with it, I wouldn't be working today. But unfortunately, I'm working the back shift at Walmart, you know, part time, whatever. It doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want if you're happy. But how do you set yourself up? What do you do? What does anyone do to set yourself up to be ready to pull the trigger when the luck comes? So I listened. I started listening to Jack Spierko's podcast in 2009. He was still on the Jetta. And, um, and he, he got onto this kick about starting your own business. And, you know, he's all about building a resilient lifestyle. And the best thing you can do to make your lifestyle resilient is to run your own business because you decide how much money you're making. Nobody decides for you, right? You, you make the decisions and you either win or you suffer from making a bad decision. But, um, so he actually like pushed me away from his podcast for about six years because <laughs> yeah. I went on this like pursuit of, Okay, how do I run a business? And oh. One of the things that came up routinely, and, and Joel Salatin spoke there, like when I heard Jack mention him the first time, I'm like, hey, I know who that guy is. I've been listening to him for years. And um, so he spoke at a lot of these things. But one of the things that came up a lot was how do you, okay, so let's say you want to run a business and you need a tractor for your business, but you don't have money for a tractor. What do you do? And it was always something along the lines of this. Well, first, you start a lemonade stand. 
and you save your money from your lemonade stand. And then you buy a lawnmower and you start mowing lawns and you save your money from your lawn mowing business. And then you buy a bigger lawnmower, like a zero turn or something where you can do more lawns faster and you save your money from that. And it's this incremental step up, right? It's like, I get these interns in and they're like, I want to do what you're doing. And I want to do it in six months. And I'm like, well, good luck. It's not going to happen. Like, you might as well just not do anything because you don't build this in six months. It took me 10 years to build this. It took mm. me 20 years, really, because it took me 10 years of learning and then 10 years of building a business. And um, and so how do you do it? You decide to do it and you start taking steps and you keep building those steps one after the other, after the other, after the other. So my daughter, my oldest daughter, she wanted to have beagles. She wanted to breed beagles. And and I was already doing the dogs, right? So I had some Malinois and German Shepherds and stuff like that. And, uh, and she said, I want to do beagles and I want to have a beagle breeding program. And she said, how do I do it? And I said, okay, I will invest in you. I'm going to buy you a banner for a lemonade stand that you can put in front of a, a table and we'll get you the, the fold out little plastic table and we'll buy you your little um, like this distributor thing, you know, little thing where you can put your lemonade in it and like mm -hmm. fill your cup from it. And we'll pay for that. And we'll buy your first little thing of lemonade powder. And so we, we gave her like 200 bucks or whatever, right? And we got these little things for her. And she went out in the front lawn and she set it up and she started selling lemonade every day at like four o'clock when everybody starts coming home from work. She set up her little lemonade stand and her brothers helped her, right? She was probably like 10 years old at this time. And her, her two younger brothers who were eight would help her. They'd set everything up and she would pay them. They got like, you know, 20% each of the sales the profit wow. that was made. She had to pay us back our investment. So of her first several, it's like, you have to give us like 10 bucks a week or whatever. Mm -hmm. So she paid her $200 investment back. And then everything she made from that, she had to buy her own lemonade at that point. Right. So she had to invest back into her own business. And pretty soon she had 400 bucks and she went and bought her first beagle. And wow. within a couple of months after that, she had her next 400 bucks and she bought her second beagle. Now she has a pair and then she starts breeding them and selling beagles and doing her lemonade stand. And before you know it, she has six or eight beagles. And now she's, sell, she's breeding her beagles and she's selling them for two to $400 a piece and she's making money. And she built that up because we gave her a small little investment in the beginning. And then she did the work to incrementally step herself into that, that program. And now she decided when she got older, she didn't want to do it anymore. And she moved on and does other things. That's great. But now she knows how to do it, right? Mm. She knows how to start this business from scratch if you're willing to put in the work and if you're willing to start where you have, wherever you are, right? Because everybody thinks, well, like I could have taken investments, right? And I mm. always, at the very beginning, I said, I will never allow anyone else to control my business. Right. Now I made the mistake of making my ex-wife a partner in the first business. So that was a big mistake. I'm like, never make that mistake again. I own the business. Everybody else is like, like they, I include them in the decision-making process, but I ultimately, nobody can take it from me anymore. I, right. I'm the only one that owns it, right? So I didn't make that mistake a second time. But it, it was like, it's a step-by-step -step process. And it, you can try to cheat it. And I know guys who have taken investments. There's a, a guy I know that, that does like a, he has a glove business, a tactical gloves. Okay. And he has all kinds of different things. And he did that. He took the whatever, $200,000 angel investing thing and blah, blah. And he ultimately paid it back and all that kind of stuff. I just never wanted to deal with that. I wanted to, I, people are like, you can get up like a half a million dollar loan. I'm like, why would I take a loan? Like, right. I don't have credit cards. I don't have debt. 
I have no uh, allegiance or I don't owe anybody anything. I, I own everything I own. And, you know, every once in a while, my mom will get a little nervous. Well, what if the people that are, uh, you know, own your kennel decide you don't, they don't want you to be there anymore. I'm like, I'm still better off than I was before I started. 100%. Like, if I had to go find another place right now, I still got a big step up. Like right. it would be, a, it, we'd have to figure it out, right? We'd have to go get another piece of property and stuff like that, but we would figure it out because that's what you do when you run a business is that you, things happen. And some people call those things problems, but every problem is a, a opportunity, right? Mm. I think in permaculture, they say the problem is the solution. Mm -hmm. Like if you, if you look at the problem mm. in the right way, it's actually telling you what the solution is. Now that doesn't mean that there's not going to be work involved. There's going to be a lot of work involved. Anything that's worth doing is a lot of work. If you're not yep. willing to put in the work, if you're not willing to, to put in the investment of your time and your energy and your money, then don't do anything. It's risk and it's work. And you're going to make mistakes. Like I've made tons of mistakes. Thankfully, my mistakes weren't all extremely costly mistakes, but they cost me time, right? I invested a lot of time and then, well, that was a waste of time. Okay, well, that didn't work. What do we do next? Okay, we're going to try it this way. And then it works better, but it still has a problem. Okay, well, <laughs> now change it again. Like it worked a little better. So we're going to keep the things that worked. And then we're going to tweak these other things over here. And eventually you figure it all out. I mean, there's still things that I wish I could have more streamlined. Like every so often we've got a litter of puppies. And I'm like, I feel like we're missing somebody off our puppy tracking board. Like uh, we need to have a better streamline process. And we always figure it out. Right. But it's like, it gets stressful. It's like, um, there's somebody that needs to be on that board. So then we go searching through all our messages and emails. And I'm like, somebody put a deposit on this litter. And I'm like, put it out there. Like if you put a deposit on this litter and you haven't heard from me, like you need to reach out to me. And then they're like, it was me. And I'm like, okay, whew, we figured it out. Right. There's always little things that you're improving and, like we can always make it better, but everybody thinks you have to have it all figured out before you, you jump. And it's like, just don't jump in a way that's catastrophic. Hmm. Don't jump in a way where you're going to lose your home and live under a, an overpass. Like if you do that, that's a stupid risk, but you can make risks that you might lose your money. You might lose your investment of time that you put into it. You learn and you do it again and you learn and you do it again and you will figure it out. And you will build it over time and it will work. But everybody wants these overnight solutions. And it's like, I don't know. Maybe there's some overnight solutions that work. I'm not interested in the overnight solution. I, I like work. I like working hard. And my this is my whole life. Like, hmm. this is what I do. I wake up in the morning and I do dogs and I go to bed at night thinking about dogs. Mm -hmm. And my workday starts at six and it ends about eight o'clock in the evening. And Every night, the last thing me and my wife are doing right before we sit down and watch a couple episodes of some show before we go to bed is we're talking about the dogs. We're talking about the clients. We're talking about, you know, who's being bred next. We're like, this is our life. And not every business has to be your whole life, but people often talk about passion, right? And, and people have this misconception that passion means I really like something. That's not what passion is at all. 100%. Passion the first time the, the word passion ever presented mm. itself was in relationship to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That's why the movie was called The Passion of the Christ. It's passion means what are you willing to suffer for? And if you're not willing to suffer for a thing, then you're not passionate about it. 
It's and it's that's okay. If you're right. not passionate about anything, then have a job and work for people. Not everybody's passionate about stuff. But if you really want something, the you the question in my mind that you need to ask yourself is how much am I willing to suffer to do this thing? And if your answer is I'm not willing to suffer, then don't do it. But if your answer is I want to do that so bad I'm willing to suffer for it, I'm willing to take risks for it, I'm willing to invest time, energy, and money into it, even if it's just a little bit of money. It doesn't have if you invest. If you refinance your house and put that into your business, you're probably making poor decisions. Yeah. The first investment you should make into your business is a couple hundred bucks to get a website to start selling a thing. Or even before that, just get some social media accounts, sync them all up with the same name. So you're the same across like at Fortress K9 that you can find me on almost any of the social media platforms with that at Fortress K9. I made sure I got all of the social media platforms I knew of. If a new one pops up, I jump over and make an account just in case I want to use it. And um, <laughs> oh, yeah. And all it is is time and energy, right? You're, you're taking a few minutes to go get that account. Relax, buddy. You take a few minutes to get that account. And then when you do your social media posts, I do the same post every day across every account. I do a K9 Academy post. I do a Fortress K9 post. I do a Fortress K9 Puppies post. And then I just share, 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 share. Copy the same text from Instagram into all of them and go. And some people are like, oh, you should have new content for all your stuff. No. Well, I don't have time for that crap. And the thing is, people who are on Gab are not on Twitter. People who are on Twitter are not over on Truth Social. Like it's a different audience in each of those things. So the few people that are on cross platforms, well, follow me on one and not the other. I don't care if, you, if the same person follows me on three platforms. They only have to follow me on one. And they're going to see the puppies. They're going to see the dog, the train dogs, and they're going to see my online training classes that are available. And that's my diversification. I have kind of three prongs of the business, and they all kind of complement one another. But it, it's just put the work in, put the time in, learn from your mistake because you're gonna make them. Stop trying to not make mistakes. You know, don't make a catastrophic mistake, but accept you're gonna make mistakes. And Every problem that you face is an opportunity. Every time mm. something happens, don't go, oh, no, I have a problem. Go, wow, this is an opportunity. I remember reading a book to my kids. It was actually like a, a it was about creation and stuff like that. It was a fictional mm. book, but it was kind of in the time of like right after the Ice Age and stuff like that. But there was this one little girl character and they were always facing like these catastrophic problems, right? Like, mm. oh, no, we're going to get captured by this king that's a bad guy or whatever the the problem they were having in that chapter was, but this little girl's response to every quote unquote problem was I'm so excited to see how we're going to get out of this. I'm so <laughs> excited to see how we're going to overcome this problem. And I'm like, that should be all of our outlook on everything is wow. This is exciting. What are we going to do? I don't know. I guess we'll figure it out. Like we're going to do the best we can. And if it's bad, well, then we'll recover from it and we'll move on with our lives. And that, that's always been the approach I've tried to take with this kind of stuff. You know, it's funny. You talk about passion being uncomfortable and hard, hard friggin' work. Like there's nobody's business. And, you know, I've been, this is something that's been on my mind a lot lately. When you're a kid, what do your parents say? You can do anything you want when you grow up, right? Because when you're a kid, the whole world is like this. You can go an infinite number of paths. And I don't know if it's, when I hit 40 or I don't know, late thirties, but all of a sudden you realize that if you want to be really fucking good at something, it has to be the one thing, you know? And 
that's what it is. <laughs> You've got to, you can't, you know, when you're 40, you can't be anything you want. I mean, sure. Can you drop everything and go be a professional golfer? Sure. Maybe. But if you want to do one great thing that yeah. that's, and like you said, you, yours is from sun up till sunset. And um, I mean, dogs are your great thing, aren't they? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I love the guys like Jack talks about polymath and like learning mm -hmm. lots of different things and stuff like that. And and there's definitely benefit to that. Like, I do think we should always be learning a little bit of something about things that we're not super familiar with at this time. And I love listening to, uh, you know, podcasts on macroeconomics and I love listening to things. Um, you know, I just listened to one today that was about, you know, all the alien stuff going on. Right. And, and nice. like how the government's doing new laws and hmm, there might actually be something here. I like listening to all that and learning and, and uh, having that new information. But if, if you're going to build a business, that business needs to be the one thing you focus on. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think I'm, I'm a good computer programmer. That's just an example that popped into my head. And so, but I'm working for this guy and I can make a lot more money if I contracted out myself and, and worked for myself. Right. And they don't realize like, and I didn't realize this when I started a business, like I have to do a lot of things other than train dogs, which I don't want to do. But yep. if I want to run my business, I have to do those things. I had to learn how to write contracts. I had to learn how to communicate with clients. I had to learn how to do my own taxes, as, you know, and run my business. I, there's lots of things like I, the only time I sit in front of my computer, like I'm doing right now, and I don't feel like I want to fall asleep is when I'm doing either a live stream or I'm talking to somebody else on one of their live streams. And I hate walking into this office and sitting down and having admin work to do, mm. but I have to do it. It's one of the things that has to happen. And um, if I have my, my way, I'm outside in the heat all day long, even if I'm doing quote unquote admin, if I can do it on my phone and I can sit out in the heat under my barn and smoke my cigar and type it on my phone, then that's what I'm doing. I don't want to sit down in this at this desk, but I still have to sit down at this desk sometimes and get certain things done. And you have to learn the business, whatever your business is, and it has to become almost like a um, obsession. Yes. Like you, you have to learn the things that you have to learn. And it's not because you love every aspect of everything that you're doing. It's because you love the one thing you want to do so much that you're willing to do these other things and you're willing to suffer through them. And you're willing to do the things that it takes to make that successful so that most of my day is spent working the dogs, doing the parts of the business that I love. And you can't, you can't do everything. Right. So there, there's a benefit to learning multiple different aspects, but most of the stuff that I learned that's extra stuff, I try and figure out some way that how can I apply that to the business? Like I love listening to guys like Jordan Peterson I've mentioned. Mm -hmm. And or I'll listen to other people who have like these it's kind of like the Jack's thing about resilient lifestyle and you know how to think differently about things and how to motivate yourself in times that maybe you don't want to. And some of them are guys like talking to Joe Rogan about working out and different things like that. But I'll hear something hmm. and I started doing these things I call motivationals. Almost every evening, I've been a little off on them the last couple months, but almost every evening I do three minutes or less, some quick little motivational thing. And it it's a way to have a slightly different kind of content other than the dogs. Yep. But it still puts it puts me in front of eyeballs that wouldn't normally see me. Mm. And they go, who's this guy? And then they open my thing. Oh, he does dogs. 
Now, maybe only one in a hundred of those people are going to be interested in actually getting a dog, but that one little thing that I like this kind of an outlet for me also pushes people over to that other thing, which is what actually makes me money. And, um, and so every little thing that I add in, I'm like, if I can't somehow use this to push the, the audience over to my business, then I just can't justify wasting time on it. Exactly. And, um, and so everything becomes that focus on the business is the primary thing. Everything else that I do that is interesting, if I can't make it work in the system of the business somehow, then I just can't do it. I can't, you know, I can't waste much time on it. Maybe I can waste a little bit of time on the alien show or whatever today, which was actually on a Bitcoin podcast of all places. Um, I was like, well, that was pretty cool. But um, if I can't tweak it into the business somehow, then I go, I just can't, I can't justify taking the time to, to spend on that. And, uh, and so everything has to come back around to the thing that is the main thing. So you said, okay, go back to the, the passion. I mean, you know, Jesus was so passionate, he's willing to let people nail him to a, a frigging cross, right? Right. That, that's not very comfortable. Um, nope. You wouldn't be too excited to have it done. Um, probably everything in you is hollering, I'd rather not do this right now. Mm -hmm. So how the hell, to take that back to Fortress Canine and what you do, how do you stay motivated every single day? Because we might be passionate, but passionate doesn't mean I wake up every morning and think, ah, oh, I'm in a good mood. This is great. I'm going to go do everything, right? Exactly. A lot of mornings. I, so people will use the word motivation a lot. And, and I prefer discipline because I'm not always motivated. Like I don't work out every day. I should, but I don't. I intend to, but I don't a lot of days. I get up and I'm like, well, kids aren't here. Uh, I got to clean the kennels instead of them cleaning the kennels this morning. By the time I finish the kennels, it's hot. Now it's hot. I don't want to really work out in the heat. My gym's outside. And then I just move into my day and I don't work out that day. And then I go, mm, yeah, after a couple of days of that, I go, nope, got to suck it up. Like I got to, that needs to be priority. What I do is very physical. I have to stay in good enough shape that I don't get injured, right? Mm -hmm. The dogs are torquing on my shoulders all the time. I'm leaning over my lower back has a lot of work involved in lifting dogs when I have a dog on both arms and I'm fighting them and all that kind of stuff. So staying physically fit is critical to the long-term success of the business. And so I go, Nope, I can't, I can't neglect that more than a couple of days in a row. So when I listen to guys talk about discipline, I, I listen to like fighters talk. I listen to guys who are like, like peak athletes, right. And they're talking about things. And, and the, the same theme comes up over and over again when people are asking them, how do you stay motivated to do it? They're like, it's not motivation, it's discipline. You wake up, you don't feel good, you go to the gym anyway. You wake up, you don't wanna get out of bed, you go to the gym anyway. You wake up, you got a busy day and there's all this stuff, you go to the gym anyway. Like that's the priority and it's not always the gym, right? It's whatever the priority is, the most important thing is you, you do the most important thing even when you don't feel like doing it. And that, that kind of comes back to that passion question, right? I, well, it's, if you, if you go with the biblical story, the way that it's told in the, in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the night before Christ knew he was going to be crucified the next day. He did not want to go. Right. In fact, he was begging in his prayers to God, right? He was begging, no, take this away. I don't want to do it. But then he woke up the next morning and he did it anyway, because, you know, you could say that it's, there's the passion in terms of he was willing to suffer for it, but it was, it wasn't a motivational thing. It was a, I am disciplined enough to do this thing that I don't want to do. 
And some people will go, oh man, I like, I wish I had more discipline. Discipline is just like building the business. You don't wake up one day and you just have discipline, right? I tell <laughs> right. my trainers when, when, you know, we, we have trainers that rotate through. So I'm always like teaching new trainers how to train puppies and stuff like that. <clears throat> and I'm like, the most important thing when you're training a puppy is to train them to have discipline. Malinois, German Shepherds, Dutch Shepherds are high energy dogs. The most important thing for them to learn is to sit still because they have to go to families. They have to live in a family's house. They can't be running around, you know, chewing their furniture and all this other kind of stuff. They have to learn to sit still. That's the most important thing to teach them when they're puppies. And, um, and so they learn to control that energy. They learn to sit and be calm. But I also tell them you can only learn discipline through discomfort. If you are comfortable, you might be doing other things. You might be gaining a skill or things like that, but you're not developing discipline. The only way you develop discipline is through discomfort. And the army has this down to an art, right? You, you go to basic training and what do they do? They force you to be uncomfortable and to do things every day that you probably don't want to do. Even if you start off like, yeah, I want to do this by a couple of weeks in, you're like, oh man, this sucks. Getting up at 4 a.m. every day, doing PT, then immediately going to taking like a 20 minute shower, scarfing food, eat it now, taste it later. And then I'm out <laughs> all day long doing gas chamber and whatever it is we're doing today, right? And, um, but what it does is the discomfort of basic training teaches them a discipline. They take an 18 year old kid and in six weeks, they're a disciplined soldier. Now they don't know everything, but they develop discipline. And you only develop discipline through discomfort. So if you're not disciplined, don't try to go out and go from, I, I'm, I never work out. I don't do anything I'm supposed to do. I'm going to be disciplined tomorrow, right? That's like the January 1st, New Year's resolution. I'm going to get a gym membership. I go, I work out way too hard the first day. I'm so sore the second day. I don't go back. It takes me four or five days to feel like it again. And now I've lost the habit and I'm, I'm not doing it anymore. And what you do when you develop discipline is you go a little bit, just a little bit, be a little more disciplined tomorrow than you were today, be a little more disciplined today than you were yesterday. So it, I, I actually use this. So I, you, I'm really bad about hitting the snooze and, and I will get up and I'll hit snooze and I'll go back to bed and I'll do that four or five times sometimes. Right. Okay. So I was sleeping until like eight, nine o'clock for quite a while. And I was like, I need to get up at six. How do I do it? And I tried a couple of different things. None of them worked. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I, I wake up automatically at like nine o'clock every morning. So I'm going to set the alarm for 845. And I'm going to get up at 845. And then I did that for like a week. And then I said, now I'm going to set the alarm for 830. And I did that for a week. And I just 15 minutes at a time, worked my way down a little bit at a time till I was able to get up at 6 a.m. And then, you know, and now I'm still a little bit between six and seven sometimes, mm -hmm. but I don't sleep until nine anymore. Like, even if I don't set an alarm at all, I won't sleep until nine. And so you do discipline a little bit at a time. Don't try to do it all tomorrow. If you want to start working out, go walk. Mm -hmm. Don't go to the gym and work out so that you're so sore you can't move for three days because then you won't do anything for three days. If you're going to go to the gym, go to the gym and walk on the treadmill, walk half a mile and go home. And then the next, do that for a couple of weeks and then go three quarters of a mile and do that for a couple of weeks, right? When you're young, you can push yourself a little harder. When you get older, <laughs> you can't, like you don't recover that fast. 
right? I, I have this little app now that sets up workouts for me. And I look at the workout and I'm like, 25 minutes? Like I'm tempted to do a little more than the 25 minute workout. And then I'm like, mm, no, nah, I'll just, I'll go with it and let's see how it works. And then like, I go to squat down like an hour after the workout and my <laughs> legs start to cramp. And I'm like, oh, okay, that was a good workout. Like it, it felt like I wasn't quite getting what I wanted, but then you let your muscles start to get a little tired, you know, lactic acid builds up and you're like, Ooh, that was a good workout. Okay. I'm just going to go with it. I'm going to let this app kind of build me up slowly in these workouts. And I don't, I, I'm not ever going to deadlift 650 pounds. Right. Like, that's not the goal, right? The goal is to be a little bit more disciplined, a little bit in better shape, eat a little bit better, be a little bit better at, you know, sitting down and doing your admin work, whatever the thing is you need to do just a little bit. You just need to make a little improvement over what you did before. Do you want to slide through some questions? I was going to go a little further down that rabbit hole, but I realized we got seven or eight questions. We'll we'll go through and then we'll we'll come we'll, we'll wrap it back around after. How's that sound? Sounds perfect. All right. So I've got three here from Haas. Um, okay, right here. What uh, what are the steps to get training from Joel? So that'd be the how I think. I don't know if that would be, I, I'm I, obviously dog training, but I'm guessing the online kind of thing. So, well, I, I get this question a couple of different forms. One is, hey, I have a dog I want, I want to train. So what we generally recommend is if you're not local to us, is get a good basic obedience foundation in your dog, especially if you want to do protection work. If you just want to do obedience, Canine Academy is set up specifically for that. CanineAcademy.us, and it walks you step-by-step step exactly how we train our dogs, um, from I just got this puppy, I don't know what to do with it, to off-lead obedience in 12 modules. And so if you do one module a month in a year, you'll have off-lead obedience with your dog. So if that's what you're wanting, that's the best way to get that. If you want protection work, what I recommend is either use something like that or, you know, there's multiple different ways that you can do obedience training with your dog. And then once you have a good obedience foundation, we have clients that come to us every like two to three months and they spend three to five days and we do basically uh, protection intensive. And mm -hmm. most of our clients, about three of those, and they got a pretty good protection dog. Some of our clients just, they start to do it and they just love it so much. They just keep coming back. And um, so if you want to do something like that, then that's what I recommend. Uh, do something like Academy or have find a local trainer, get some good obedience in your dog. And then once you have some decent obedience control, then we'll start doing protection work and we can do them in intensives where we just focus for three to five days real heavy in that. The other question I get is, um, so it's usually younger guys, but sometimes it's, you know, people are older and they're like, I want to learn how to train the way you train. And so we have internship type things. Um, mm. I don't charge for mine. What I tell guys and, and okay, the occasional girl, but most of them are guys that want to do it is you pay me with your labor. I pay you with my knowledge. That's our exchange. I'm going to teach you what I know, and you're going to work your butt off for me. And you're going to get in the bite suit. You're going to get chewed on, but I'm going to teach you how to do it. I'm going to teach you how to bring up puppies. How are we going to do it? We're going to bring puppies out. And we're going to teach them to bite. That's how we're going to hmm. do it. We're going to bring these older dogs out and you're going to learn to fight multiple dogs at once. Then I'm going to show you, this is why we do this. And that's why we do that. We're going to uh, take these puppies and we're going to teach them obedience. We're going to do all that kind of stuff. And then if you want to work with me, then we have opportunities where that's open. If you want to go back to your home city or whatever and start your own business, more power to you go. I hope you're successful. Um, the guy, some guys, uh, we, we set up an 80, 20 split on profit and I'm there available for them. Anytime they have a question, anytime they need anything, Hey, I had this client, this is going on. If you, but all it is, is it's based on loyalty. If you 
continue to do the 80-20 split, I will always be available to you. If right. you want to run your own business and you need my professional help, you're going to pay me for it at that sure. point. But in terms of the, like, I want to learn how to train dogs. That's how I do it is it's just a straight labor exchange. I give you my information and you give me your work and I'm going to benefit because I have an extra trainer and you're going to benefit because you're going to learn. And then however long you think you need to do that to learn what you need to do to move on and do your own thing. Great. Go do your own thing at that point. How, what's the dropout rate of that? How many guys stick with it? until they? It depends on what they want. So I, I was working with a young guy and, um, and he was real motivated in the beginning. And then he's like, I want to do what you're doing. He already had a kind of a, he did board and train. So he was already doing this board and train thing. And he had learned uh, from another trainer how to do some board and train stuff. And he was fairly successful. He was taking care of his family with it, but he came out here and started training with me. He loved what we were doing. He's like, I want to do this full time. And but then he, he thought, so I said, okay, if you want to do it full time, here's what you do. You've already got a waiting list on your board and train. Double your prices. <laughs> yep. And cut your number of dogs in half. So your workload with the business you're already doing will cut in half and you'll still make the same money. And then come out an extra day or two a week and train with me an extra day or two a week and slowly transition as you, I'll start, I'll give you a couple puppies. You train those puppies, you bring them when you come. And then I'll get a percentage when that dog sells because it's my dogs, but eventually you'll be able to build up. You can buy the puppies from me and then you can just sell them on your own. And I set up this whole process. This is how you can incrementally step yourself into that. He didn't want to do that way. He shut his business down. He tried to set up a business doing what I was doing with me, which I was like, all right, if you want to try it that way, we'll, we'll try it that way. And within like a month, he quit because he didn't listen, right? He tried to do the zero to hero thing in all, you know, and I'm like, it doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. You can't just jump into it. Like I have clients who buy dogs for me this year, who the first time I talked to them was three years ago hmm. because they contacted me three years ago and said, I want a protection dog. And then I said, okay, here's your options. Here's your prices. And they went, holy crap, $30,000 for a dog. And then they went and looked it around and went, oh, I guess that's how much they cost because that's the market. And then they saved and saved and saved and saved. And then two years, three years later, they're like, I'm ready. And then they come back and they actually make the contract and start paying their dog and they get a dog. And I'm like, but if you can't last three years, you're never going to get that sale. Because that sale wasn't like they found me and bought a dog. That sale was they found me. Then they looked at other people. And then they liked what I did better than the other people. And then they saved up their money and then they came and made the sale. And so there's a lot of this, that's this long-term cumulative rollover that it, that's why it builds over time, I believe, because, you know, things happen like the economy gets bad, like everybody's freaked out <laughs> about right now. Right. And then the people who maybe were going to wait another year go, mm, we need to up our time scale here. We need to get a dog now. And then I sell all my dogs off because the, you know, the intensity of the moment made them move forward a little faster than maybe they would have otherwise. But a lot of that stuff happened years ago, but it didn't manifest till now. But it's because I've been here for years. I've been around doing the same thing I'm doing, telling people the same thing I'm telling them, showing them the same things I've been showing them for years and years and years. And that's why every year is bigger than the next year, because it's those people that have been around and been watching from a distance. And then they're finally like, now I'm ready. And it's just, it's none of it's fast. So I have some people who move on and, and they're still working with me 
one mm-hmm. guy in particular, Pat, which I think you, you'll probably meet him at Self-Reliance Festival. He's going to speak there. He Good. His primary business is he does lock picking. Right. But he loves the dogs. And he's an author. He's written several books on lock picking. And so, um, but when he trains dogs, he gives me 20% of the profits. I'm always here. He can call me with a problem and, I, and I'll spend an hour on the phone with him, walking him through that problem. And I'm like, as soon as you do that and you finish your next session with your client, I want you to call me back and tell me how it went. Because there's probably little tweaks you're going to need to make. And you don't know what those tweaks are yet, but I can tell you what they need to be based on experience that I've had with other clients doing similar things. And then he's like, that's worth it to me. It's worth it to me to keep doing that with you. And he's just slowly incrementally adding, he's getting a puppy from me that he's going to train and do his first totally solo sale on. And wow. um, but it, he's spent three years doing this with to get to that point. And, uh, and so some guys stick it out and some guys don't, but I'm like, Hey, you know, maybe some guys are out there doing obedience classes and stuff like that. And I just don't know about it anymore. But I, when I had the poverty mindset, the people that I learned from had that really, really bad. It was always this, can't give information away because they're going to steal oh. it. They're going to screw us. And, and so I came in starting my business that way, thinking a sure. lot the way they thought. And hearing Jack and Nicole and a lot of these other people talking about the prosperity focus yeah. of the whole thing. Now, because I used to be like, you got to sign this contract and you got to do all this stuff if you want to learn from me. Now I'm like, you know what? If you give me a week and I give you a week of knowledge, that's a fair trade. Mm-hmm. If you give me six months and I give you six months of knowledge, that's a fair trade to me too. Like the trade is fair no matter how much time and energy you want to give me. And I will pour everything I have into you for however long you're willing to commit to me and then go do whatever you're going to do with it. And so I just don't look at it like, oh, I've been screwed or they took anything from me. I'm like, they gave me their time. Mm-hmm. They gave me their their uh, you know work, right? Their time and their, their energy and their muscle and everything else they were doing. I'm good with that. I'm good with that exchange. I'm happy. I feel like we're even. If they want more, I will give more. If they don't want more, then they I, I wish them the best luck in the world. Go forth and do great and wonderful things with your life. And um, so that's that's really – and you know what's funny is I make way more money doing it that way now than oh. I ever did before. Way more. Because, I mean, there, there's a ton of uh, kind of mirroring here to content creation. It's the same thing. Because yeah. you have people who are like, okay, I'm just going to set up an Amazon store. And I'm going to push reviews or whatever, you know, I mean, that's what I do. But if you don't give people at least as much value as they want to give you in return, and really it should be a hell of a lot more value, then you're never, ever going to be successful. You might, you might eke out a few dollars here and there, but the real key is to absolutely just give, give the value, give it to everybody and be free with it, you know, because if you don't, like you said, you're, you're going to be, what do they call it? Um, uh penny 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 foolish or penny wise and pound foolish or whatever you know so you're going to be yeah. pinching pennies but you're not going to be grabbing hundred dollar bills right yep what, yeah what about, when he just said penny wise and dollar poor i think is what yeah there you go whatever yeah exactly that's exactly it because that's what it is you you got people that are so damn miserly that they're holding on to pennies and nickels and they're not sharing yeah. anything and instead the that's when you find the bills, you know, you start yeah. giving more of yourself. You know, it's funny. I, I never mention their name because I, I never want to bad mouth. And everyone, I, I love the people I learned from. Mm-hmm. I, they're still very dear and near to my heart. So, you know, occasionally the, these things will come up and I don't want them to get, you know, I don't want anybody to ever look at it and go, oh no, like 
they're a bad place. They're amazing. They're, they're amazing dog trainers and amazing dog breeders. They're not good business people, unfortunately. But myself and probably that I know of, I could probably list off 10 to 12 other guys that wanted to run franchises for them. And if they had, had not been so risk averse and had taken mm -hmm. advantage of that, they would literally be the largest canine company in North America. They would have military contracts at the wazoo. They would probably be making millions of dollars and they would have a 10th of the workload that they currently have because we would be doing all the work. Right. And we'd be getting 80% of the profits, but they would be getting 20% of all of our profits from all these guys. And like, we would literally be selling the Navy SEALs dogs. We'd be selling the CAG, uh, which is Delta Force. We'd be selling them guys' dogs. We'd be, we would have the entire industry, but because they were afraid, they, they wouldn't take the risk. They're, they're doing, they're doing good. Don't get me wrong. Sure. But they would be, they would just doing the good. Industry. They would right. own the industry if they had taken the, those opportunities, but because they didn't and, and they, you know, push that, that help away, whether it was intentional or unintentional is a little hard to tell, you know, but it was just fear, right? They were afraid mm -hmm. and they had the poverty mindset and it's like, you shoot yourself in the foot there because are people going to screw you if you give people stuff with, yeah. with those strings attached? Yeah. Some people will screw you, but do you look at that? Like, Oh, I got screwed. Or do you look at that? Like, well, I made them give me something in exchange for what I gave them. So fair trade. If you think you can do it better on your own, go. But if you have somebody who's already established and they keep pushing you forward, you're going to move forward so much faster than if you try and mm -hmm. do it on your own. And, you know, you talk about taking the risks that don't burn your house down or take, you know, don't yeah. go mortgage your, that it's kind of like what Becky and I are doing right now, where we, we signed a contract on the second property for the second uh, um, daycare. And that, that's right. where it is. You take those, I mean, that's a risk. It is, but yep you know, it, unless absolutely everything goes sideways for like two years, that's not a burn down the business risk, but it's the risk that's going to make things great. You know, things yep. are good. And it's like the guy, the guy you learn from, that's basically a, I don't want to say a hobby, but it, it, it's a hobby or a passion they're making money off of, but it's not, they never turned it into a, an enterprise or a really big right. business. Right. Right. Yeah. They, they, they made it a family business. And it could have been a family business that also owned the industry. And, you know, there, there was always talk about, you know, this is the best way to do dog training. And this is the way the industry needs to go. And then in the same breath, they'd go, but we're not going to tell anybody about it. It's our secret. And I'm like, that, it, it doesn't work that way. You can't have it both ways. No. It's like, whereas if they had said, if they had taken like the bottom 10% of what they were doing that was different than everybody else and just put it out there. What would have happened and what I, I see this all the time i do a video of night training with i put the night vision i have an attachment that puts a night vision camera in front of my phone mm -hmm. and i do night training what happens six or eight other companies start doing night train night vision videos and i go hey guess what here's a thermal ir training at night and now we're going to do this other stuff that's the next step up what yeah. happens six or eight other people do it right and I, I just, I like do it for fun now. I just, I laugh at it because I'm like, you're always a step behind. I'm always the one doing it first. And then you come along and do it second, but that's how they could have been. And I'm yeah. like, even the stuff that I do that a lot of people look at and go, that's advanced. I'm like, this is still basic. 
like I can't get to the advanced stuff because the the everybody like caps out at the basic stuff. And I'm like, we were we were training dogs to repel out of helicopters. We were doing uh, underwater operations with dogs. We were doing waterborne operations with dogs. We were doing stuff that people go literally at the time because I would go into these forums with these special operations guys, and they're like, that's impossible. You can't do that with a dog. Now every special operations organization in the world, halo jumps with dogs. They do waterborne uh, halo casts with dogs. They do like you see them using dogs and all the special operations stuff. And I'm like, we were doing that 20 years ago. Like that was, and, and even the stuff that you're doing now is basic. Like it could be so much better, but like the, the industry kind of caps out. Like they, sure. they're, imagination doesn't go there. And I think a lot of it is still there. They're still trying to, Oh no, like we can't let that country know what we're doing. And it's like, if you guys would just get over it and like, there, there's a new thing out there, canine helmets. I don't know if you've seen those. I, yeah. The one yeah. With them and stuff. Yeah. So I have like 15 ideas for attachment to that thing. They do various different things. And I'm like, nobody's doing it. Right. Nobody's doing it. I'll throw one out there for you. So uh, using police to extract people from vehicles right now. Okay. I'm not a fan of the, the cops. I'm not a, you know, I'm, I have a lot of negative things to say about police officers because uh, I think the whole justice system and the whole, everything is broken. But, um, but let's say just that application, right? I've got a suspect in a car. The car is, the windows are rolled up. They refuse to get out. I can't justify shooting them. The door's locked. I can't get into the vehicle to get them. Okay. Bring in the canine. Well, how do I get into this vehicle? glass breaker attachment on the front of a helmet for a canine that's breakaway but that's sturdy enough that latches onto the helmet that the dog you can't do this on a windshield because windshields have laminate but the back mm -hmm. window and all the uh, side windows they go through them like water so they have a helmet on with eye protection so they're not going to get glass in their eyes you they have shoes on which are you know all this is on the market right they have shoes right. on so they cut their feet on the glass they go you just deploy them right into the window you train them to go into the window like it's not even there. As long as the glass breaker is on the helmet, as soon as that touches the window, it shatters the safety glass. It just, it's like water. It's like a waterfall. And they go right in, grab the person, drag them out of the vehicle. It's like, but where is it? It's not on the market. The helmets are there. It's a, you could 3D print the things for probably 99 cents each. And you could sell them for 20 bucks a piece. And, and it's not there. All you're doing, and... <laughs> This is, this is what innovation really is, though. You're looking at six or seven products that are already on the market. Everything already exists. But you're going to take them all together, and you're going to turn them into something more. In one of the books I read just recently, they talked about how eyeglasses, you know, lenses were around for, I want to say it was around 400 years before somebody decided to take two lenses, put them in front of each other, and boom, you got a telescope. Nobody thought for 400 years to take those two things and go this way instead of this way. And all of a sudden it was an innovation. Yep. That yep. blows my mind. Yeah. I, I noticed you had another question up there. Uh, I yep. think it was the same guy that started off asking if you need any experience. Zero experience. Yep. So I, I tell people right up front, you're going to get bit by dogs. Now you're in a suit, <laughs> yep. but it still hurts. Sure. Like you're going to be bruised. You're going to do a lot of work. You're going to be sore. It's hot here. We train outside. I don't train in air conditioning. And um, and so it's hard, but I teach you everything you need to know from the ground up. And as long as you listen, you're respectful, and you can take instruction and, and do the things that you're told, then you will learn and, and we work together. 
my my biggest things are respect, hard work, and you've got to if you think you know better, then don't even show up because you're going to always be like, oh, no, I think I should do it this way. No. I tell my my kids, right, when they're teaching them to clean a kennel. And and, and I, I went through my kennels this weekend and I'm like, all right, I'm going to cut corners again. I'm like, I showed you how to clean kennels. We do it the same way every time. Why do we do it the same way every time? Because if you don't do it, this problem and this problem and this problem pop up. Mm. Now, do you think I've been doing this for 20 years? I know those problems show up. I'm not going to explain to you every little reason for every little thing. I'm just going to explain to you how to do it. And then if you don't do it that way, there will be problems because I've already tried it all the other ways. And if I, I tell my kids, if you want to know why, you can ask me why anytime you want. But first, you do what I said. Do this mm. this way. Yes, sir, do it. And then when you've done it, you can go, why do we do it that way? Or what if we did this? Well, we can't do it that way because this problem and this problem happen. Oh, okay. Or they go, why can't we do it this way? I go, I never thought about it that way. Let's try it and let's see what happens. But first you do it. You do it the mm. way you're told. You listen and follow instructions. And then if you want to know why, I'm happy to have that conversation. But do it first. And, and then we learn. And, and then if you have new ideas, ask. Let's talk about them. But most of the ideas aren't that new. Like it's hard right. to come up with new ideas. And so usually the ideas are, oh yeah, I tried that. It doesn't work because this way. But then you learn that way too. You learn, oh, okay, well, I don't need to waste time on that idea because he already tried it and it doesn't work. And um, and then once you, you start moving in that direction, you go, well, now I can fast track skipping all the bad ideas. And then when there is an actual new idea, we go, never actually thought about that one before. Let's try it. Let's yeah. go see what happens. And then we put a couple dogs through the program that way and we go either it works or it doesn't work. And then we say, yep, we're going to keep doing it or nope, it didn't work. And we're going to go back to the other way we were doing it before. What's the easiest breed to train or preference? Shepherd or Malinois? Malinois? Is that right? Or Malinois? The Belgian Malinois. The, yeah. So I work Dutch Shepherds, German Shepherds and Malinois. So, okay, here's how it goes. The smarter a dog is, the easier it is to train. Okay. And the smarter a dog is, the harder it is to control. So can I, I can, Malinois are my favorite of all the three breeds. I love all three of them, but of the three Malinois, I always end up with Malinois as personal dogs. That's Almost Maeve, right? Um, Maeve's a German Shepherd. So oh, Punisher, she's, okay. Yeah, Punisher's a Malinois, Ratchet was a Malinois. Okay. Oh. Like yeah. Orpheus, the Brindle, that's a Dutch Shepherd. Okay. Made the black and tans. Those are German shepherds. Okay. And um, so the smarter a dog is, the quicker it will learn things. But it also keeps trying other things. And oh. so it's like, stop doing that and do this. I only want you to do this. So they, they the faster they learn, the faster they also want to try their own little things over here and there and stuff like that. So you got to kind of, you got to rein that. It's not difficult. I tell people, these dogs are not difficult to manage. You just have to be consistent and you have to have discipline. If you have discipline and you're consistent, they learn real quick. Here are my left and right boundaries. I can operate within these, but I don't go outside the left and right boundaries. If you're inconsistent and you give here just a little bit occasionally, then they're going to be going, is he going to give here today? And they'll mm. keep pushing. And they'll find out wherever you actually stop. And some people just keep 
widening out because they're persistent. And so the more consistent you are, if they push it and the 10th time they've pushed the boundary, it's the same every time they stop pushing it. They go, okay, now I got it. That's the edge. But if you give every so often, then they're like, maybe he'll give in today and they'll keep testing it. And so consistency is, is your, your friend when it comes to training dogs. This question here came from Lisa over in the telegram group. She said, how do you tell someone that their dog is badly behaved because they're inconsistent. I know that's your philosophy, but I don't know how to tell people that. Well, I would say it depends on who you're dealing with. So we take our dogs out in public a lot. And a lot of the places we go just because it's simple are dog friendly places like restaurants and things like that. And they'll have these patios and people can bring their dogs out there. I don't talk to people about their dogs in those environments other than to say, if I see a dog that looks like it's going to like, you know, lunge out at my dogs or whatever, Mm -hmm. I'll stop. I'll tell my dogs to sit and I'll say, would you mind getting your dog under control for me so that we can move over to our table? And most people are, you know, they'll reel their lead in and they'll hold their dog while we move over to our spot. And then we just sit there and our dogs ignore their dogs and we're fine. Um, if somebody either refuses to do that or their dog actually lunges out and, and like it presents a threat, mm -hmm. I'm not friendly to those people anymore. Um, and like my wife and our, our trainers that go with us to these places, they're like, there he goes again. He's yelling at somebody. And I'm like, get your fucking dog under control, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, cause I'm like, if your dog is going to lunge at another dog, you have no business bringing it in the public. You, you right. needed to have done some, so I, I'm, I start friendly if I can, but if your dog presents a threat, I become very unfriendly, but if it's a friend, right? Like a person I know that I don't want to damage the relationship, then there's a couple things you can do. I, one of the guys that tracks with me has a, a lot of other friends that have dogs. And what he does is he just shows them. Like he takes his dog and he, he puts it in a place and it lays down and he says. Oh, you're good. Whoa. Whoa. Are we back? Yeah. Was that the end? Was that the power? I don't know what happened. My screens all went black. So I think it was on my side, but I'm glad we didn't totally lose connection. No, you're um, good. So what he like he'll put his dog in a place and they all just go whoa you're like your dog's really obedient and he's like yeah i can show you how and like if you want to and then like he just kind of mm -hmm. like here's what you do like get this collar you know put him this way let me show you how to teach your dog to sit let me show you how to teach your dog to lay down and so he takes that approach right and and he's like some of my friends do it and some of them don't and so sometimes he decides i'm not going to take my dog over there anymore or they're not allowed to bring their dog to my house anymore or whatever the case may be. Like, I'm still going to be friendly, but I'm just going to go, yeah, just leave your dog at home. Like, don't bring your dog over because, you know, my dog doesn't like him or whatever. You can, you know, make up whatever reason you want for that particular thing. Um, if it's like a family member and things like that and you end up in a situation, I'm just real direct with people. Like, I, I tell this story to people and, and I'm sure some people are going to be offended by this, but I, I don't care. So that whole like, tell you what <laughs> what I think, whether you like it or not. So uh, when I first started training dogs, I probably was training dogs for four or five years at this point. But I was in the army, so I wasn't home very often. Right. And um, my daughter uh, was still really young and, and my sister was still living at home with my parents and we were visiting my parents. And so my daughter has her toys, right, that we brought with her. And it's like, here's your little play mat on the floor or whatever with your toys. And my sister had this little uh, silky terrier, so a small dog. But it had become very toy aggressive. So it would hide all its toys under a, an end table at the end of the couch. And if you even walked by the end table too close, it would try and run out and like bite your ankles and stuff. And it would bark at you. And I'm like, listen, your life, 
you guys live your life with your dog however you want. But it came out and tried to grab one of my daughter's toys. And when she tried to grab it, she's like a toddler, right? She's like crawling mm -hmm. around. So it barked at her. And so I kind of swatted it and I, you know, it ran back under its little thing. And I told my sister, I was like, get that under control or I will. And about 30 minutes later, it came running out after my daughter, barking at her. And I grabbed it and pinned it to the floor. And I picked it up and threw it against the wall. And it hit the wall, hit the couch, hit the floor, ran under the thing. And she was all mad. And I said, I gave you the opportunity. I said, you can fix it or I will. And if it's the dog or my daughter, sorry, the dog's going to get it every time. Mm -hmm. And um, now if I had had a lead on that dog and I'd had a collar on that dog and she was like, can you help me train it? That would have been a whole different situation, but she wanted, you know, the dog needed free. Now my sister's gotten lots better. This was like when sure. she was young and stupid and you know, like, like we all are when we're young. Right. But I was like, I'm very direct that way when it comes to that kind of stuff. But I'm also like, like me, don't like me. I don't care. Like I, if, if you don't want to be friends anymore, there's the door. Like don't let it hit you on the way out. I don't care. And, um, but what I found taking that approach is the people that stick around are good friends and yes. the people that leave, I'm better off without them in my life anyway. So I don't know if that actually answers the question. No, fuck, man, that was a perfect I answer. I beat around the bush about it. That, uh, you know, that directness, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't brought up in a family that was ever direct. It was always beat around the fucking bush, you know? So when I first started meeting everybody in our community, um, I almost took directness as, an offense or an affront, you know, right. because I didn't know any better. And then I'll, yeah. then I realized those are the people I want, <laughs> but yeah. if you don't know it, it can be scary or intimidating or off-putting. Yeah. But what I've found and, and in my first marriage, I, because I didn't want the conflict. Right? right. So I would beat around the bush. I'd tell her what she wanted to hear, all that kind of stuff. I was actually talking to my kids about this day because they're all, it's so funny. The divorce happened and they all got told stories by their mom about how terrible their dad was and blah, blah, blah. Well, mm. I, I met my now current wife, Wendy, which, you know, and, okay. um, and, and she was like, you know, we need to get the kids. We need to do this. We need, I was like, patience mm. in five years, everything is going to flip itself on its head. And I'm like, they're going to, they'll realize for themselves what's going on. We don't have to tell them it's, it's all just going to present itself. It's going to show itself. And then whatever decision, that, I don't want them to hate their mom. I right. never want my kids to hate their mom. But they will realize this is how mom is and this is how dad is. And all we have to do is show them. Just show them what we are and let them learn what's going on on the other side. And and today we're, we're all hanging out. My oldest daughter is, is telling me all these problems she's having, this conflict mm. that she's having with her mom. And I just, I just smirk. And I'm like, uh-huh. And you can see in her mind she's going – this is what you were dealing with all those years. And I'm like, uh-huh. But what happens when it when you beat around the bush is you don't say what you mean. And that and and it becomes lies, whether you're trying to whether you're mm. actually lying or whether you are just trying to be quote unquote polite, right? That's the, the big problem in the South, is they're polite and they talk yeah. right back behind your back, right? And um, but it builds up, and then over time you're like. I don't know if I can believe anything you've ever told me. Right. And and now you've got a whole, a whole relationship that's been built up over years of, were you lying to me way back 10 years ago or five years ago when you told me this stuff? Whereas if you're up front, you might lose a friend or somebody who could have been a friend, but would they really have been a friend? And then if they're, if they take it in and they go, you know, I, 
it's a little offensive, but I appreciate the truthfulness there. Like, we're not trying to deliberately offend people. No. We're not like, like, you suck and I hate you. It's like, hey, here's what I think. If you didn't want to know what I think, you shouldn't have asked. Right. And because and I'm largely like that, like I have a lot of opinions about a lot of things. And I, um, you know, I'm a Christian and I have a lot of really strong opinions about things in that. But I don't walk around just like trying to proselytize everybody. I'm like, if you want to talk, I'll share my opinions. If you don't want to talk about that topic, what do you want to talk about? We'll talk mm -hmm. about that. But I don't try and cram it down people's throats. But as soon as somebody is on a specific topic and they want to talk about a specific thing, I'll tell you exactly what I think. And you never have to question was, was he just telling me what he, what I wanted to hear. Mm. I, number one, I don't know what you want to hear. And number two, I don't care what you want to hear. <laughs> it's like, and, and I don't want you to care about what I want to hear. I want you to tell me what you think. And I want to tell you what I think. And we can either have a good conversation about it. Maybe it's a lively debate or maybe it's just a, hmm, that's really interesting. I never thought about that before. And then we can decide, did we like that person? Did we not like that person? Do we want to hang out more? Do we not want to hang out more? And everybody has a better life that way. And, and, and you never, you can trust the people that you've done that with over, yeah. you know, it takes time to build relationships, right? So after a couple of years, you know, I can always trust this person to tell me exactly what they think. They're never right. going to tell me what I want to hear. They're never going to lie to me. They're I never have to go, am I getting the whole story here? And, and those are the relationships that last and they're, they're the relationships that mean. Absolutely. I, yeah, hundred percent. I don't know what else you could put it. That's, that's to me just, yeah. it is. And it's cool because like you said, um, topics that maybe a person doesn't necessarily agree on, but it's fun to talk about them. And, you know, it's fun to see other people's opinions on them. And sometimes it's fun to, um, I always used to call it, you know, get a little warm in the ears when you're talking to somebody, you know, because yeah. you know, you're, you know, you're either stretching, learning, or, you know, if you're squirming in your seat a little bit, it's probably a good fucking conversation. Well, you know, I used to, when I was in college, we would have, you know, you know, a lot of college people have these very lively debates. Right. And, and of course, when you're in college, you think, you know, everything. So oh, yeah. like you're an expert on whatever your opinion is. And, um, and what I learned, it probably took me to my mid thirties to learn this is the things I would get the most upset about in debates were the things I was afraid to be wrong about. Cause mm. for whatever reason, I'd built some portion of my life on this. And in my mid thirties, I started going, you know what, if I'm wrong about that, I want to know, I don't want to be wrong, but think I'm right. Yeah. Now, now we, we all think we're right about something because every opinion we have, we have it because we think it's the right opinion. But if I'm wrong, I want to know. Mm. So if you have a different opinion, I want to hear it. And I want to think about it. And I don't want to just immediately discount it. I want to go, do they have a point? Like, are they actually making like a good argument for their case? And so any good debate, both people should shift a little bit in one direction or another about what they think. Because if you're open-minded and you're actually hearing and listening to what the person is saying, at the very least, like I used to always debate everything, right? And mm. now I hear something that maybe it's a, a slightly different twist on something that I've heard before. I like to go, that's really interesting. I've never heard that opinion before. I've never heard it from that perspective. I'm going to have to think about that for a little while and get back to you on it. So rather than feeling like I need to defend my point, first of all, what do they care about my point? Like if we're, we could have a discussion and it's interesting, but at the end of the day, if we disagree, I don't care that you believe your point and I believe my point, but right. if we're actually like 
trying to help each other and everything's in good faith, then it's like, well, that's an interesting point. I've not thought about it from that angle. Let me give that some thought. And then next time we get together, we, you know, I'll have worked through it a little bit more and then maybe I can have some more to add to the conversation. But if I'm wrong, I want to know it. I don't want to live my life being wrong about something that I could have figured out that I just didn't because I was too quote unquote scared to have some core uh, belief challenge. But most people are terrified to challenge their core beliefs. Absolutely. For one way or another, right? Whatever it is you, you built your life on. Cause I guess we think I've wasted my life and I'm like, but the question is, do you want to keep wasting your life or do you want to learn that you were wrong and now start doing things a little differently? Cause if you keep going, if you keep just, not ever questioning it, you become the old person, the senior citizen who's so stuck in their ways. You know how you ever notice there's no such thing as an in-between old person. You've either got yeah. an old person that's really happy or an old person that's really cranky. And I think you yeah. become that one, the person that's so set in their ways that you don't want to talk about anything. You don't want to hear anything. And you want to argue with everybody about everything. Yep. Yeah. The people that I respect the most in life have always been the people who either kicked me in the ass when I screwed up which is why I teach that way, right? Mm -hmm. Now, not everybody appreciates that approach, but I always learned the most when I was training dogs, when I did something wrong and I got my ass reamed and we got some significant consequence. Maybe we were up all night, like having to do some manual labor thing or whatever, but I always went, yeah, like I deserve this. I deserve the, the hard work I have to do and the punishment I got because I screwed up and I always appreciated that. Or... The person, I, I always, I had this concept of if you're 10 years older than someone, you're not peers, right? Hmm. So anyone who's 10 years older than me, if they say something that I, I'm like, man, they're totally wrong. I'm like, wait a minute. They have 10 years of experience on me. I have to at least stop and think about that for a little while. I can't just immediately discount it. Now, I might still disagree with them at the end of the day, but think about yourself 10 years ago, wherever you're at in life, you could be 20. Right. When you were 10, you were dumb. Mm -hmm. And when you're 30, you'll go, when I was 20, I was dumb. And when you're 40, you go, when I was 30, I was dumb. Right. So that I kind of have that, that concept of a decade of experience makes you way wiser than you were 10 years ago. And so we should always respect the people who have 10 years of experience on us and at least that like, give whatever it is they're saying respect and consideration before we make a decision on it. But the um, so the, the other thing is anybody who's older than me, who's like, let me give you a little piece of advice. I might still not do it, but I usually even when I don't do it, I look back and go, yeah, I probably should have actually done that when they gave me that advice. But I, I, I'm at the point of life now where I go, mm, I'm at least seriously going to consider that because they've been through some stuff that I've not been through. And I don't want to just discount that knowledge. So the people who are older, who are still open-minded and willing to give you advice mm -hmm. and the people who kick you in the ass when you mess up and whether they're like face to face with you or whether it's guys like Jack and John who are like, get off your ass and work harder. And it's like, all right, I needed that kick in the ass. Let's go. Like, let's get stuff done. But I, I've always appreciated those two types of people the most and the people who are polite and always friendly it's always like mm, you're hiding something, aren't you? Like there's something going on. And I don't yeah. know if I can to you. You're a serial killer, ain't you? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> How many bodies are in the basement? Come on now. You can yeah, you can tell me. But uh Dixon wants to know, 
When it comes to the end of life with a dog, what are some key things to start watching for? I go, if they're having trouble either eating, getting up and walking around, those are probably the two biggest ones. Then my the one of the ladies that trains me, she's the lady that owns the property that we lease. She said, you have to ask yourself when it comes time to question whether you need to put an older dog down or not, are you being selfish or are you doing what's best for the dog? And because it's, especially if you've had a dog for eight to 10 years, it's really hard to let that dog go. Right. And the, the worst thing about dogs, there is, there is a bad thing about dogs. And that is you're going to outlive almost every dog you ever have. So at some point that dog is going to age and it's going to pass and you're going to have to deal with that. And, uh, and so the question is, are you being selfish or are you doing what's best for the dog? And so I go, if the dog's quality of life is still good enough that if I were feeling the way they felt, I would want to get up in the morning and keep going and doing stuff, then enjoy the dog's life. Like my, my working dogs, my younger dogs, they have a place in the house. So when we're in a house, they go to their place and they lay down and they don't move until I tell them to move. Now they can kind of turn in circles and they can stretch and things like that. But, um, but they're to stay in that spot in the house, right. Until I tell them to move my, my dogs that are seven, eight years old that have done a lot of work for me and they're, are, they, they get arthritis in their joints and things like that. If they want to get up and walk around the house a little bit, as long as they're not getting in the trash or being destructive, they get to move around because mm. they can't sit still that long. You know, their joints get sore and all that kind of stuff. So like I let them have a little bit more freedom in the things that they're doing. But at some point there comes a time in their dog's life when it's like they can barely function. Mm. And it's like, am I doing this for them or am I doing this for me? And it's easy to convince ourselves we're doing it for them. But are we like, you know, when a dog can barely eat or a dog can barely get up in the morning and move around. Now, if they're a little stiff in the morning and then they kind of work it out and they're getting going good. Well, I feel that way sometimes in the morning and I want to keep going. So, okay, that's, that's okay. But if, if they're like every time, if all they do is lay around and every time they get up, they can barely move and they're like barely trying to crawl their way over to their food bowl in the morning and they just lay there barely moving and just barely nibble on their food. And then, then, okay, that's, that's probably more for you than it is for the dog. And um, yeah, and I'm, it's not easy. It's not mm. easy to, to, you know, you've built a relationship with that dog. You feel like it's a family member. It's like, it's a kind of got a part of you and, um, and it's hard, but that's the question I ask. Am I doing this for me or am I doing this for them? And if I'm doing it for me, I need to stop and I need to do what's best for the dog. And most people seem to do what's best for them, not for the dog. And it's unfortunate. I, I know $10,000 keeping a dog alive six months longer than it should have. And it suffers those whole six months and then they they somehow feel like they've done something for the dog and really all they were doing was being selfish i got another question for you here this one came from yozik over on telegram and um said uh dog food recipes other than raw oh i didn't bring it up i guess it would help if it brought it up for you there you go any dog food recipes other than raw well so or, the raw or. diet is my favorite but most people don't do a raw diet very well so um i'm not going to speak about anybody personally on this, but it, what dogs eat is the whole animal. Okay. And so if you can't give them the whole animal, then you're probably doing raw wrong. Now that doesn't mean that you can't throw them like some chicken, like you, you know, we get chicken quarters and things like that sometimes, and we'll throw them down for the dogs, but that's not all their diet because 
what dogs eat first in an animal is the anus and the gut. And it's kind of really? gross. It's like, ew, like, ain't it? but that's where they go. Every time an animal, a dog kills an animal, almost always 99% of the time, they will go right up the anus into the gut. They'll eat out all the gut and then they'll eat the rest of it. And so that's where most of the nutrition is. Their organs, the, so dogs are carnivores, but where, where do they get their quote unquote plant material from the gut of the animals they're eating, right? Because it's partially digested. It's in the gut. It's already been working through and things like that. So it's got enzymes and the bacteria and all that kind of stuff that they need in their for their gut flora. And so if you can do whole rabbits, whole chickens, things like that, those are great. But if you're doing if you're feeding your dog in your kitchen, you probably don't want them eating a whole raw chicken ripping it to pieces and blood and everything else that's there in your kitchen, right? So kibble is a decent alternative. Now, a lot of people get into the like grain-free and all that kind of stuff. Here's the problem with that. If you're going to take the internal organs of animals and grind them up and then make them into dry little kibbles, you have to add plant material to that to make that a thing because otherwise it's just goo. Right. So that's what they do. They, they, most of the time they're adding corn. Right. So these grain free, they do things like, Oh, peas or sweet potatoes. Well, guess what? Those damage the dog's hearts. You know what corn does? Corn's not great for dogs. It's not the ideal, but corn goes right through their system and out the other end. Right. They don't digest it. They don't, their body does nothing with it. It just passes through them. And so what they're digesting is the animal products that are in there. So the higher quality dog foods have higher concentrations of animal products and lower concentrations of grains. And the lower quality have more grain so that it looks like you're getting more food for a lower price, but really all you're doing is getting the filler. You're not getting the actual good stuff for the dogs. So the brand I like, I have no affiliation with them. Uh, I just buy their food. I'm a wholesaler for them because I get it cheaper that way. And then I buy enough that they're like, all right, you buy two pallets of dog food from us a month. That's more than most feed and grain stores buy. And uh, is Victor. It's uh, They're American made. Uh, Victor's the brand. And then because we have high energy dogs, we use the, the I guess you call it the model, whatever, the, the bags of food that they make. It's called High Pro Plus. Okay. It's in like a turquoise bag. And um, and I, I like it. I've had good success with it. Um, there's, uh, there's some high value uh, high uh, quality Purina uh, foods. I can't remember what that one's called. There's some other ones that are pretty decent, but I would stay away from any of them that add in like peas and sweet potatoes and all these other things. Dogs don't need any of that crap. Dogs need animal products. And, uh, and so the filler is just filler and that's all it is. And so I go get the one that's the least damaging to dogs. So the filler, I'm going to guess then, because when, when you see somebody that's got a big dog that lives off of, you know, cheap Walmart food or whatever. The uh, yeah. the stuff that comes out the other end is massive and all the yep. time. So do you have less dog poo than you would have used a cheaper? Yeah. If you feed raw, your dogs will poop about three times a week. Wow. And if you're, especially if you're consistent with the feedings. Okay. Um, about every other day they'll poop and because they digest everything else. And most of what they poop is fur or feathers. And um, because they don't digest the fur, the fur and feathers is like their roughage, like their fiber. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it usually comes out, it looks like it's been twisted through a, a pipe because that's basically yep. what it went through their intestines and it cleaned them all out, which is good for them. And, uh, and then they poop out the fur and the feathers primarily. Um, 
if you do like a, like Victor, they poop about one half times a day. So sometimes they just do it once a day. Sometimes they do it twice a day, but it's on average probably about one and a half poops a day. If you do something cheap like Old Roy, uh, when I when I was barely making it and I was you know struggling to to pay for the feed bill and stuff like that, we we used Old Roy, and they'll poop about three times a day on that. And okay. uh, and because most of it's just the filler passing through them. And they just, they got to get it out. It's in their intestines. It has to go somewhere. It's not getting digested. So they pass it out. That's cool. That's about as real world experience as you can get right there. And uh, yeah, because that is, that always seems to be the cheaper the food, the uh, the bigger the mess. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because they're pooping out most of the filler. Sure. Because so yeah. you're, you're really not paying any less. You're usually with the, with the cheaper foods, you're having to feed more. Right. And um, you know, like if I fed old Roy... I would, um, my wife was giving me notes. I love it. She's always keeping me on track with things. But when you, when I feed, fed old Roy, I would feed my dogs about five to six cups of food a day. I feed three to four cups a day on average. Uh, now rice is, is as good a filler as corn. So rice is, tends to be okay. Um, I don't mind having that as a filler, uh, but it's the peas and the sweet potatoes and things like that, that are actually, it's something in them. I don't know what exactly it is that they digest in, but as the, you know, they've been feeding it and putting it in dog foods long enough that they've been able to study it. And it's like dogs are having heart problems and heart failure and all sorts of other things. And it's, it's those feeds that have been the ones that have been associated with that. The other thing that I do with my feeding is we do a couple supplements. And so one is called nature rich. It's, it's a, uh, like a probiotic kind of a mix. Um, and, and then our males will do like a muscle builder on them. It's mostly there we go again. Lost you for a second. You'll be back. Oh, am I you back? Go. You're good. Yep, you're All good. Right, sorry about that. I didn't blank out on my side that time. So no, you're good. But, uh, so another one we, we'll give our males muscle builder. It just helps kind of keep weight on them. Um, I like to add diatomaceous earth in. It kind of helps keep uh, worm problems down. Some places, like when I lived out west and up north, I hardly had any worm problems. Down in the south, in the tropics, uh, worms are a much bigger problem. Parasites are a much bigger problem down mm -hmm. here. Um, but DE, we call it, is um, you get the food grade. Do not get the stuff for pools because it has heavy metals in it. But the food grade stuff is uh, is low in the um, uh, mercury and lead. Those are the two that are typically in the, the stuff that they use in pools. Um, wow. So, yeah, you want food grade if you're going to do it. But it's like a little teeny scooper. It's probably like a tablespoon or maybe a little less uh, in, in their food. And then we just kind of mix it in with their food and they just eat it while they're eating their other food. And um, so those are the three big ones. And some of our dogs that are really active and have trouble keeping weight on will add uh, MCT oil. So mm -hmm. we just kind of do a squirt of that in there. And it's just calories is all it is. It's just adding fat into the into the food. And they'll absorb that for the most part? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They'll absorb the fat. Cool. Well, Mr. Royals, I think we've made our way through an hour and a half. We've been over an hour and a half and we just flew. So this is always how it happens whenever we I know, go. right? She, she was like, <laughs> Are you guys got to talk for two hours? I'm like, we could talk for two hours without even trying. Like that's just that's how true. Yeah. <laughs> and I know you got your kids there, which is cool. How long are they there for? So I have them for uh, through Tuesday this week. And then next week is one of our little, or uh, in August, we're going to do it not next week, but the week after uh, I get them almost a full week. So Sunday through Thursday. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of fun to have them. So how do people follow up with you? Because I, uh, you know, I mean, other than every Thursday, I, I plug you, plug the hell out of you on here every Thursday, but how do people, awesome. if they want to follow up with you, how do they do it? Yeah. So every Thursday at 5 p.m. on the At Fortress K9, it's 5 p.m. Eastern time, uh, At Fortress K9 YouTube channel. 
Uh, we do a live stream. I'm at Fortress K9 everywhere except for Facebook because I got my accounts hacked about a year <laughs> and a half ago. So I'm Fortress K9 Kennels, Fortress K9 Puppies, and Fortress K9 Academy on Facebook. Um, and uh, and then you can find us at FortressK9.com. Uh, K9 is always the letter K, the number nine, and all of my stuff. And uh, if you're interested in getting the dog training stuff, that's K9Academy.us. And uh, you mentioned a book. Um, oh, uh, you're, yeah. I've got a guy that's helped me. This is just a, a test print, so it's not quite ready yet. We were getting uh, proof of concept and layout and stuff like that. But we're doing a book called Beyond the Bite. And uh, we're going to make the subtitle something inflammatory, like why sport protection dogs are dumb or something like that. It won't be exactly that phraseology. But we're basically pointing out like how we train protection dogs versus how the sport world is doing their dogs and why the sport world does dogs the way they do and why protection dogs for an individual should be different than that. And uh, so we're hoping end of this year, having that ready to, to go to print and uh, stuff like that. But yeah, we're super excited. The uh, We're doing this. Uh, I'll show you this. The, the quality in them. We're doing like these high quality photos all throughout with the text underneath them. So it'll be almost like a magazine kind of a layout. Uh, but the photos will all be used to demonstrate uh, whatever the, the image is, whatever the text is talking about. So that it helps give you a visual as you're reading the uh, the actual text. And uh, and then who knows, maybe I'll do a, an audiobook of that too and, and read it myself and let people get some uh, inflection in the voice and all that kind of stuff while we're going. I can't wait. Uh, as soon as you, you let me know, I want to be uh, one of the first ones to get a copy. I'll buy it right as soon as you get it released. So that's exciting. Awesome. Man. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, we're, I've been wanting to write a book for years and years. That's probably one of the most common questions I have. Is there a book that tells about this stuff? I'm like, not one I can recommend to people. So we're, we're making one ourselves. We're like, if it's not there, then somebody needs to make it. Why not us? Absolutely, man. Right on. Well, if you want to hang in the back for just a second, I'll close up and I'll be right back with you right quick here. Awesome. It was a pleasure, Tim. Thanks, Joel. Guys, I didn't even need to show up. Joel could have run this show by himself every single time. I, yeah, I need to get him on more than once a year because we just, we chat. We have a great time. This is exactly what it's like when we talk at Prepper Camp or Self-Reliance Festival, except uh, Wendy will be with us too. And I enjoy it. They, they, they were my little, um, uh, you know, just bastion of calmness at Prepper Camp because when I first got there, you know, I didn't know a lot of people and it was just nice to go hang out at the RV with them. And uh, I just, yeah, I appreciate them beyond belief and they're friends in real life. So guys do everything you can to support them. I know I mentioned him every single Thursday, but Joel was a year ago, just about, he reached out to be a sponsor before I really had any business having sponsors. And uh, that just shows the kind of dude he is. So I thank him for coming on guys and, you know, give him some support. And as always stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week.